It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation. On this week's episode, our host, MDOT Communications Director Jeff Cranson, talks to two special guests with deep ties to the Mackinac Bridge. Hi, welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. This is only our second episode, having begun just last week with an interview with MDOT Director Paul Adjuba. Uh, today, I'm fortunate to be talking with Kim Nowak, who is the Executive Secretary, which actually means the, the, the CEO, uh, Head Administrator of the Mackinac Bridge Authority. And I thought it was appropriate this week, um, recording just a day after the annual Labor Day Bridge Walk, given all the changes that that tradition has endured the past few years. So, Kim, thanks for taking the time to do this. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about the first bridge walk that you oversaw since being named the head administrator of the bridge and how you think things went. Oh, I think everything went great. Um, We were a little worried with a little rain early on, but that uh, left us. And um, everybody I encountered on my trip across the bridge was very happy and had had a nice time out there. Yeah, I, I was watching uh, all morning, I know, in other years, um, your your crew has to keep an eye on the weather for the days leading in and do updates with uh, with NOAA and try to be prepared for everything. This year, it looked like it was going to be clear. There were just some tiny little green cells out there. And then all of a sudden, here it was sprinkling right before we started. So it kind of took me by surprise. Yeah, it took the rest of us by surprise, too. But like I said, it didn't last. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk, um, you know, it was a big, big decision that the Bridge Authority had to make uh, a couple of years ago, and you were then the chief engineer of the bridge, and you were um, obviously very involved in helping to plan for those changes and what it was going to mean in terms of the operations of the bridge and uh, the weight, the counterweight, the sway, all those things that you have to factor in and that you probably think about 24-7. Um, but the, the politics of it, knowing that Homeland Security and the state police were basically saying, you know what, we have to strongly recommend that the NBA prohibit vehicle traffic. There's just been terrorist attacks um, all over the world and even domestically where people have weaponized vehicles uh, to run into crowds of people. And it's a, it's a terrifying thought. So they didn't really leave a lot of options for choice. Um, I think the NBA had to do what it did. But taking away vehicles and trying to figure out how to plan and continue this tradition, um, it's, it's been fraught with, uh, with criticism and second-guessing, both in the communities of Mackinac City and St. Ignace, but downstate, too, um, as people. I mean, this bridge is everybody's bridge, and there's a lot of people from all over the, the country, really, maybe even the world, but especially parts of Michigan who've made it a tradition to go up there and do the walk. All that had to be factored in. Can you talk about that process? Uh, yeah, this will be the. This was the third year that we didn't allow private vehicles across the bridge, and the first year we tried to uh, still accomplish it our traditional way with the buses that we provide, getting people up here to the um, starting line, and we found out since there were no private vehicles on the bridge that we could not transport all those people just in buses. In the past, people brought themselves up here and pick up loads and vans and to start the walk, but um, we couldn't do it all with buses. We couldn't get enough buses. We couldn't do it fast enough, and we left a bunch of people at the starting line. So we knew the buses wouldn't work, so we switched over to what we call the U-turn uh, scheme, and so that allows people to not have to wait for a bus. They can start at either end. They can go to the middle, turn around. They can go 
both ways, one one way over and one way back. They can walk just as far as they're able and turn around, which sometimes is only a small portion. Lots of different options. And then everybody gets to walk as they're able. And, um, and it worked out great. And anybody that wanted to walk could do it. So uh, it was a success last year and even better this year. So coming off those <clears throat> you know, growing pains from 2017, the first year it was closed to traffic, and as you discussed, uh, found out that there just wasn't time within that time frame to to get everybody on the buses and off the buses and back where they started. Um, there was definitely, uh, I think, some skepticism about the U-turn option when that was first proposed by some members of your staff and other people sort of warmed to it and decided, you know, maybe that's that's worth a try. And you know, it seems like it's it's worked out really well. I you know, the people that are really steadfast that they want to absolutely be able to say they cross the entire bridge can find a way to do it and for others as you mentioned it's still a way to have access to this incredibly i i can't iconic structure i mean there's nothing Mm -hmm. nothing more iconic in michigan we stamp it on our license plate and the governor used it in her campaign materials on her website so yeah so do you think that that's has that criticism dulled down and that skepticism dulled down do you think well, it has gone down, and I'll tell you, when the idea first came up here, we all kind of laughed and said, well, that's crazy. But then on second thought, we said, well, why not? And and I'm glad we did that. And I tell you what, last year was the most planning we've ever done on the Bridge Rock since I've been here in 17 years, just trying to figure that U-turn scheme out and make sure it would go well. And um, it did. And what I like about it is, if somebody can only walk a little ways before they get tired or before they uh, need to stop, they can do that. They can just turn around and go back. So. If you have small children, for instance. Yeah, small children, right. And they never could do that before. They always had to keep pushing, keep pushing, and then they'd end up in an ambulance or being uh, carried off the bridge, you know. So now and now it's a lot nicer I remember them. the first year I did it, my son was probably four or five, and he got a side ache, and I ended up carrying him on my shoulders the rest of the way. So. Oh, yeah, yeah it's a long ways across. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, there's still going to be things that, that we learn and there's still going to be challenges. Um, numbers lagged a little last year in the first year of the turnaround option. We never know for sure why that is, if it was because of the turnaround, if it was because in our efforts to communicate, you know, that the bridge was going to be closed the last three years, we used the, the dynamic message signs, you know, on the freeways um, across the state and started alerting people a good six weeks or so before the bridge walk that the bridge would be closed during those hours, uh, you know, from 6.30 to noon on Labor Day. And in in part, that could have created a sense of confusion or maybe that, you know, maybe the bridge walk isn't going on. There's only so much you can communicate on a sign. Um, I've defended us inundating that on the signs. A lot of people have said to me, geez, don't you think that's overkill? And I say, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anybody yeah. not to know that the bridge is closed. Right, that so. and that worked because I'll tell you what, our backups here were very minimal, especially northbound, southbound. It took us uh, an hour and a half to clean it up, and that, that's nothing worse than a normal Sunday, um, getting all the vacationers out of the UP. So um, it worked really well, getting those messages out to people. Or vacationers from downstate going back to the UP, right? Yeah, well, there's that too, but they seem to be fewer than the others. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, um, I, I think we, we got we estimated 30,000 30, this year, which is back to where we were just a couple of years ago. Um, outside of some, some big events, the 60th anniversary, I think they estimated more than 60,000. I think when 
President George H.W. Bush walked it in 1992. They estimated, what, some 90,000 at that time? Oh, you know, I don't know that number, but you might be right. Yeah, but other than that, um, I think it's been all over the board, and it's really hard to say why. But I, I really feel, and I know it's going to be until next year that we know, considering the weather was a little iffy, uh, that getting back to 30,000 with this new configuration and everything else that's gone on is a really good sign. Yeah, I do too, and uh, we can certainly take more than that. And um, as people hear from others about what fun it was out there and how quiet it was and how easy it was, hopefully we will increase our numbers. Yeah, what um, what do you hear from people about you know why why they do it? Some people it's just it became a tradition and they don't want to stop their tradition. But you know what else do you hear about what the what the thrill is and what what makes people drive that far and get up that early to, to do this? Well, it's the only day in the year that they can walk out there. You know, it's, it's other days of the year we would we would take them off the bridge if they started walking out there. So <laughs> it is the only day of the year that they're allowed to do it. And, and so it's just a special experience. It's a beautiful area, and uh, to see it from the high up on the bridge is, is really uh, wonderful. Well, so talk about that, I guess. Um, before being named the head administrator, you were the bridge engineer, the chief bridge engineer. Um, but your trajectory as a civil engineer and what brought you to the Mackinac Bridge? Um, well, I started out with MDOT right out of college and worked all around the state in the cross-training, the engineer development program, and got a lot of different skills and saw a lot of different parts of the state, construction, traffic and safety, design, and got the job as chief engineer here in 2002, where I have had to use all those skills that MDOT taught me. And so we are still part of MDOT, and I'm, I've had a great career here and love my job as chief engineer. and. My job here as executive secretary has been very exciting so far and very enjoyable. So I look forward to the future. So what feeds your passion and makes you just love this job so much? Well, it's so interesting. I mean, dealing with people coming through the toll booths and trying to make that experience good and um, dealing with all the structural things we have going on out there. It's just very, very interesting and unique because it's a suspension bridge in Michigan. It's not an overpass. It's not a, a section of highway. It's very unique. So I just find it all very interesting and uh, keeps me going during my days, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember... Um on the, the bridge's 40th anniversary, when I was still uh, an editor at the Grand Rapids Press, uh, we sent a reporter and a photographer up to the bridge with an iron worker from White Cloud who had helped build it. And um, when he got to go to the top and talk about it and, and, you know, recount his memories of building it, and you see that, I mean, now that generation is mostly past, but those iron workers, the tremendous pride they took in that and that sense of accomplishment of, of being able to participate in that, um, it's just something that a lot of people get. Yeah, it is. And our, all of our workers take great ownership in the bridge. So, you know, they're all very passionate about their jobs and uh, try to do good for the bridge. So we're all, we're all looking out for that bridge. Well, speaking of ownership and uh, innovation, talk a little bit about the giant flag and the innovative method that your staff came up with to furl it and unfurl it. Yeah, well, we uh, learned about that flag from uh, the George Washington Bridge, I believe. They they fly one uh, there on occasion, so we wanted to try that on um, holidays. And so we got the flag, and it took about 20 guys to hoist that up and make sure it didn't touch the ground and do it just right. And 
a um, couple of the guys in the shop got the idea for an automated roll-up device, uh, and they worked during the winters on that and rain days and created it. So now when they push a button, the flag unfurls, and they push another button, and it rolls back up. So we did that yesterday, and it was out during the whole walk uh, since the winds were low, and it wasn't raining uh, later in the morning. So it's a beautiful sight to see, and we hope to do it um Let's see, the next time will be September 11th. We also fly it on September 11th. Yeah, it was very noticeable that uh, in a lot of the walkers from St. Ignace past the North Tower, that that's where the most selfies were taken. People really liked getting that flag in the background. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Kim, and congratulations, uh, you know, one, on your ascending to this important job, but also on a very successful bridge walk in 2019. Well, thank you. I'm happy it all went well. I'm Jeff Krantz, and I'm back with the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. And our second guest this week is Patrick Shorty Gleason, uh, who is the chairman of the Mackinac Bridge Authority and has been on the Mackinac Bridge Authority, I don't know, Shorty, how many years now? Like 14, something like that? Yeah, I believe it's uh, 16, awful close to it. 16 years. So yes. was definitely on the authority when the very difficult, challenging decisions had to be made the past few years. Uh, about the walk and about taking vehicles off the bridge and realigning things. So talk a little bit about that, Shorty, and the the challenges involved in trying to make everybody happy. Well, as you know, there uh, the, all decisions are driven by safety up there for the motorists, and especially with it, it comes to the, the bridge walk, to making sure that uh, everybody on that bridge uh, can walk it safely from start to finish, and at any given time, uh, you know, you're going to have 10,000 people on that bridge. So we, uh, fortunately, with the Homeland Security and the Michigan State Police and the MBA staff, uh, they come up with a wonderful plan uh, to shut the bridge down and walk from both the Mackinac side and the St. Ignace side, and it's really turned out to be very beneficial uh, so many families that couldn't make the entire tracks, especially our seniors, can walk whatever they want to and turn around and come back and get right back into their vehicle and leave. But uh, I think overall, uh, the walk right now with the improvements that have been made, uh, especially when it comes to everybody's safety on that bridge, it's really, really working well. And the DMBA staff, the Michigan State Police, just do a phenomenal job up there and pre-planning, and it goes on just like a, a well-oiled uh, machine right now. Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit, Shorty, about your very personal connection to this bridge. And uh, There were a lot of great photos yesterday on, on social media. There always are, um, you know, selfies and photos people take of family members, and everyone has a, a very nice story behind it. But I think my favorite of the day is still uh, the one that you sent me in the afternoon, of the governor with your granddaughter, Charlotte, who was uh, in a stroller doing the bridge walk for the first time. Yeah, well, for our family and, you know, Jeff, me being an iron worker by trade, uh, there's always, always been a very special connection there. My father, uh, Mike Leeson, worked at the bridge uh, for three years, you know, as an iron worker. And uh, throughout the years, I've met so many iron workers uh, in the field that, worked on the bridge and all these stories and everything else and to be able to have uh charlotte uh she was six and a half months old be able to 
uh, take her for the first time across the Mackinac Bridge. And there isn't a time where uh, I'm walking the bridge or driving across the bridge or even away from the bridge that, uh, you know, I don't think about those Ironworkers, what they had to do and uh, make it all work. And, you know, as history has shown, uh, back then many, many people said that that uh, generation couldn't, uh, or excuse me, that bridge could never be built, you know. But uh, I tell you one thing, you, you don't tell an iron worker that they can't build something yeah. because they get it done. And it was done on time and on budget. And, you know, and my son uh, is an iron worker, too. That's Charlotte's father uh, was, was with us. And, uh, you know, back in 99 and 2001, uh, they put the new traveler system underneath the Mackinac Bridge for the purpose of uh, maintaining the bridge. And Sean worked up there uh, as an apprentice. Uh, so, you know, he's always had that special touch. And, uh, you know, there's four generations of Gleason's now been over that bridge, you know. So, yeah, you have a multi-generational, really multi-generational tie to the bridge. Talk a little bit about your, your father's experiences. And what, uh, you know, what was an interesting story he told you about working on the bridge? Well, you know, there's one thing that, uh, you know, on, on any big job, there's always one part of the project that's really been or is somewhat of a challenge or really interesting. One thing that I always appreciated how, how Dad talked about the bridge, that each and every phase of that bridge was a challenge. You know, from uh, the first time that they got the caissons uh, uh, to the bedrock and then you know, building the, the towers themselves, using the creeper derricks and, you know, talking to, you know, he had wonderful stories about, you know, like the guys in the riveting gangs. You know, a lot of people don't realize that bridge, there was five million hand-driven rivets on that bridge. Now, just try to picture this, that each and every morning, you know, you had to fire up those heaters, get those coals red hot. You know, they'd either use coke or coal be able to get that kind of heat, heat those rivets up to where they were the right temperature, then a man would grab it or reach in there uh, with the tongs, grab those red hot rivets, throw it into the air up to the uh, uh, float that the the guys were working on. Uh, Some guy would catch it with a catch can, reach in there and grab it with tongs and line it in the hole, then two guys would immediately uh, one guy would buck the rivet up, and the other guy would drive the rivet. Now, this has to be done. Once you take that rivet out of that uh, heater, uh, you only had so much time to be able to drive that rivet properly where it would make tight iron, and you'd have a perfect mushroom. So, And then you go back and you listen to him talk about the timing and how they spun that cable. You know, there's... I believe 12,580 strands of cable in there. They worked around the clock doing that, but and then how they separated it and fine-tuned it. Uh, it was really, really amazing. And you picture, uh, you know, the structural steel erection. Uh, when they had to uh, pull them out, they, they built the sections there in St. Ignace. They put them on barges and pulled them out used uh, what they call cat heads or tuggers that they drop down off the main cable and pick up the truss sections off the barge and and put, um, you know, hoist them into place 
making the connectors up there. That's a term that they use uh, when the iron workers are actually uh, boating, or excuse me, uh, 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 putting the, the steel into place. So there was, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And, uh, well, it helps you, know, you understand why it's such an incredible sense of accomplishment that they felt, and, and you're right. There were a heck of a lot of skeptics that said it couldn't be done, that it would never be done. And, you know, it's, it's why we talk about now that Michigan is a state that used to do big things when it came to infrastructure, and we can be again. Yeah, and, you know, you stop and think about it. Unfortunately, there was five men that lost their lives. But you put that into perspective. Back then, there were no safety screws. There was no such thing as OSHA or my OSHA, you know. I mean, they were very, very talented, highly skilled individuals that really looked out after one another. And, of course, the contractor, American Bridge, had an excellent safety program, being that we're talking, you know, 60-some years ago, you know. And uh, and the amount of families that, uh, you know, that, you know, that I met uh, as a young kid, because we went up there and we'd stayed at the... There was little cabins off US two Balsam Hotel, still there, motel. But you know, all those families were just very tight knit families, and uh, it was really, really quite an experience. And that, and that's why the the most important thing to the Mackinac Bridge Authority to me is that you know, as you alternate the seats on the authority, you always have to keep in mind that you never, never lose perspective of the real tradition and the purpose of that Mackinac Bridge Authority. It's just not a normal authority. It's important that people understand all the history of that bridge in making these decisions. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, that's that's great. I'm really, really glad that uh, you got a chance to share your story with folks, and I'm really especially glad that Charlotte got to do her first bridge walk and hope that uh, we see her up there in a couple of years when she's actually walking herself. Well, it won't be long, and, uh, but it was, it was a very special moment for our family. For more on this episode of Talking Michigan Transportation, head on over to our Talking Michigan Transportation SoundCloud page.